I remember with glee the spring that a flood covered all the fields of my family's Montana ranch. I was 12 or 13 years old and awestruck with the power of nature to turn dry land into a lake. Decades before I was born, my great-grandfather and my grandfather had painstakingly moved the river that flowed through our land to one edge of it so that they could have more cropland. Looking from the hills around our ranch, you could still see the outline of where the river has been etched into the alfalfa fields. That warm spring week when I was young melted the snowpack in the mountains more quickly than the rivers and the creeks could handle it. And after 80 years in exile, the river ran again in its natural channel. Of course, the flood did much damage to our ranch. It took out fences and trees. It made a county bridge unusable forever by leaving it stranded many feet from the river's edge. And though that amount of water wreaked havoc on our irrigation system, it did not touch a single one of our ranch buildings. That same great-grandfather who insisted on moving the river also knew of its great power. He knew to place the ranch buildings on high ground, leaving the bottom land for cultivation. He knew, despite his plans for the river, it might one day reestablish its right to flow where it wanted. He knew that humankind is never really in control of nature. As we kids played at the edge of the newly formed lake where our fields had been, we delighted in the ability to putter around in an old rowboat that we found, sailing over barbed wire fences and tying up to trees six feet up their trunks. We were amazed to look down from the boat and to see fish swimming where there was usually grass growing. We mourned these same fish who were left stranded in the fields when the water subsided. My parents did not greet the flood with the same delight as we kids. It meant more hard work, more uncertainty, more debt. A warm week in the spring put them even further behind in a never-ending downward spiral that typified family agriculture in the 1980s. Most of us take water for granted, We turn on the faucet and clean water comes out. We turn on the shower and hot water comes out. We flush the toilet and some water just takes our waste away to we don't even know where. We attach a garden hose and our lawns and flowers and trees thrive. Clean, potable water whenever we want it, wherever we want it. Though it comes at a a price, this is called the water bill. The convenience of water in the United States keeps us from really thinking about it very much. And there are even some people in the United States who are willing to pay more for water. They are not content to have it come out of their kitchen faucets. They want it bottled in plastic and chilled in their refrigerator. Can you believe it? (laughs) When much of the world's population has limited access to drinking water, We who want for nothing buy special water. Global water politics would be absurdly funny if the choices we make 
didn't so adversely affect everybody else. One small example of America's role in global water politics is how the Coca-Cola company is buying up land where springs originate in underdeveloped and undeveloped countries. This is especially true in Latin America. It's a big problem, and the communities there are trying to fight this, this trend. Coke is one of the largest producers of bottled water in the world, and if it can buy a small village's free potable water source, then it can sell the people in that village its bottled water. So when you or I buy a Coke product, we in some small way contribute to someone else not having a natural source of fresh water. And don't think for a moment that it's just Coca-Cola that's doing this. Your investment portfolio and my investment portfolio contain dozens of companies that actively strategize ways to make money off of people by depriving them of free and natural sources of water, not to mention the companies whose practices contaminate water sources, poisoning people as well. The politics of water on this globe are pretty ugly, and you and I actively participate in them, either through our action or through our inaction. Water is crucial to human life. Our bodies are mostly water. We can only survive a few hours without water. And most of the world's inhabitants expend considerable effort daily in finding drinking water, humans and animals alike. And if that were not enough, catastrophe descends on places where there is either too much water or too little water. Floods and droughts often result often the result of climate change, displace millions of people a year. Floods and droughts fuel civil wars and oppressive governments. Floods and droughts wipe out animals and plants, birds and fish. Floods and droughts cause starvation and disease. The Noah story tells us that God destroyed the earth with too much water. Well, he could have destroyed it just as effectively with too little water as well. But the God of Genesis is no longer in control, or at least not up to the full-scale genocide that he used to do. We rich folks are the ones who have taken God's place in controlling the earth's destiny. And who is, it, who is to say that we will do any better than the tantrum-throwing God of the Hebrew Scriptures We might not even let Noah and his family get away. We might all crowd onto the ark, forgetting about the animals and the birds and the insects. We rich folks might be so fearful and greedy that we overload the boat, only to sink with it in the rising tide. I'm here to say that there has to be a better way. There has to be a more just way. There has to be a way to save us all. There is, but it will come at a price. Long before the modern world, the prophet Isaiah cried out, The poor and the homeless are desperate for water, their tongues parched and no water to be found. But then he reassures the people. Speaking for God, he says, But I am there to be found. I am there for them. And I, God of Israel, will not leave them thirsty. 
I'll open up rivers for them in the barren hills and spout fountains in the valleys. I'll turn the baked clay badlands into cool ponds and the waterless waste into splashing creeks. I'll plant the red cedar in that treeless waste, treeless wasteland, also the myrtle and the olive. I'll place the cypress in the desert with plenty of oaks and pines. Everyone will see this, Isaiah says. No one can miss it. Unavoidable, indisputable evidence that I, God, personally did this. Having changed his tune from the great flood, the God that Isaiah speaks about has grown and matured. No longer willing to destroy the earth's inhabitants, this God recognizes that all humans share the same fate, even if it does not look immediately like that. And on this World Water Day, the only hope of the world's poor is that those with wealth and power will see them and feel their injustice. The only hope the world's dispossessed have is that those with more will have their hearts softened and will share what they can. It is hard for us, who work hard and mean well and live a typical American lifestyle, to see that the choices we make affect people globally. And part of the reason that it is hard to see this is that our entire economy is set up to make us think that we are just living like everybody else, nothing special here. But the truth is you and I have been so thoroughly co-opted to buy what companies are selling that we have almost lost the ability to exert any power over them. I recently read that China has decided to stop taking plastic waste from the United States. This might not seem like a big deal until you realize that every piece of plastic that you put in your recycle bin has to go somewhere. And if it does not go to China in a shipping container, it will go to a landfill or to an incinerator near near your home. But try to buy common household goods not packaged in plastic. It is really hard. And yes, I know a bunch of you will come up to me afterwards and tell me about the places where you shop and that they don't use as much plastic there. Well, this is good, and I'll shop there too. But most Americans cannot afford to shop in those places. Most Americans don't have those stores near them. And even worse, most Americans don't think that there is anything wrong with using tons of plastic because they can just recycle it. Everything we buy is disposable, we think. There is no way around this, it seems. And so we loop around again to the plastic water bottle. If there's any symbol of our complete submission to corporate greed, it would have to be the plastic water bottle. Until you and I are willing to change our habits and exert pressure on companies to stop their destructive ways, we will remain part of the problem. Until we are willing to travel less, live closer, eat locally, and shop less, we will be part of the problem. Until we are willing to see where our spiritual lives and our physical lives intersect, we will continue our zombie-like existence, clawing our way through the consumer world, hoping not to be bothered too much 
by thoughts of the rest of the world. It is easy to be a consumer zombie in the metro west suburbs of Boston. It is much harder to hear the cries of those who are drowning in the South Pacific, much harder to hear the cries of those who are parched in Africa. But listen again to Isaiah's words, these ancient, ancient words of hope. The poor and the homeless are desperate for water, he says, their tongues parched and no water to be found. But I am there to be found. I'm there for them, and I will not leave them thirsty. The God of whom Isaiah speaks is not some supernatural being who commands hurricanes and dust storms for fun. This God is not the God who destroys the earth with flood or drought. This God is nothing other than the collective will of God's people. This God is nothing other than you and me when we are willing to see the scale of global injustice for what it is. This God is nothing other than our deciding together that things don't have to be the way they are. Starting with ourselves, we can change the way we live. We can change how our families and our neighborhoods live. We can change our towns and our cities. We can change our nation and the world. But nothing starts while we are asleep. Nothing starts without our making a change. Nothing starts without seeing our neighbor as ourself. Streams can flow in the desert, but not without our changing first. So be it. Amen.